You are listening to the Kensington Church Podcast, recorded live in Metro Detroit. To learn more about Kensington, visit kensingtonchurch.org. What's up, Kensington? It's Justin Warrens coming at you live with my plain black coffee, no pumpkin spice lattes for me, my flannel and fall spirits. We even have Big Ten football coming back. Cheers. All right, I'm about to go dad mode on you. I think you guys can handle it. A little birdie told me that people are showing up on Sunday without tickets, which is creating lines at the hub. Do us a big favor and grab your tickets prior to arrival so that we're able to track who is in the building in case we would need to communicate with you promptly. We don't think reserving tickets is a fun activity either, trust me, but neither are long lines. Am I right? Speaking of being a dad, anyone else miss our children's ministry? That uninterrupted hour was really, really nice. The good news is K-Kids is still here to partner with you and in your faith journey. We need each other now more than ever. If you have a child that was just born, in fifth grade, or anywhere in between, there are activities, parent resources, weekend video lessons, and family meetups designed just for you. For our family, it's a unique season of home learning while we're incorporating these incredible resources into our day. You can join forces with K-Kids and receive these resources at kensingtonchurch.org backslash kids. All right, guys, I know you're wondering if and when we can get away, eat beef jerky, and do man things. While we are unable to offer the normal Man Up retreat experience this year, we're creating a safe and socially distanced men's retreat in partnership with Spring Hill, and it's coming up soon, the weekend of October 9th, through the 11th. So text your friends, your small group, or get some of your family together and get ready for a weekend of brotherhood. Along with the normal outdoor Spring Hill activities like zip lining, paintballing, fishing, and rock climbing, we'll be studying the life of Moses through audio messages and activities brought to you by our very own Kensington teaching team. There's a limited capacity, so don't delay. Information at kensingtonchurch.org backslash retreats. Another thing near and dear to my heart is Hope Water Project. And you guessed it, the annual marathon is not happening this year either. But that doesn't mean the need for clean water doesn't still exist. With a global pandemic upon us, clean water is now more critical than ever. And we're on a mission to raise $300,000 to dig 10 wells in Kenya. It is an audacious goal, but we serve a big God. And this year, we're moving on a virtual journey, one mile at a time, to bring clean water to the Pokot tribe in Kenya. Every $15 donated or raised moves us one mile closer to our destination. Whether you're a runner, a cyclist, a small group, a family, this challenge is for everyone. You can run a marathon or you can marathon Netflix from your couch, whatever it takes. Please join us. More at kensingtonchurch.org backslash every mile counts. Today, we're in week three of our toolbox series, Building Together. Our music team from several of our campuses came together to illustrate an important concept in a fun way. When we stand together and we use the unique tools that God has given us, the night isn't so dark. Check this out.
My tools never sound like that. <laughs> that was awesome, wasn't it? Yeah. You guys realize too that a number, most of those sounds were legitimately the sounds. Like that wasn't like edited app. Like that was really what it sounded. That's how you know you're a legitimate musician when you can turn a pipe into an instrument. Like way to go. So we're in this series called Toolbox. Today is week three, and the whole idea behind the series is that as we journey with Jesus. There are just certain tools that we need at our disposal that will help us continue to become not just who he wants us to become, but to do what God has made us to do. So before we go any further into the series and I get to come back up and take us through week three, we're actually going to watch a video right now from our interim executive pastor, Danny Cox. And Danny's just going to kind of talk us through some of what have been really key moments for us as a church and a community this last year and talk about what it looks like for us to start leaning forward into what God has for us this next year. So check it out. No one would have imagined at midnight, December 31st, 2019, as we're singing old Lang Syne and kissing the people that we love the most, what the next year, 2020, would have had in store for us. But here we are. Ten months later, September 2020, the end of the year is just a few calendar flips away. And looking back, it is stunning and humbling to think of all we have witnessed and experienced in this unpredictable, 
unprecedented and unbelievable year. But even in this difficult season, I've been so inspired and energized watching our Kensington community step into all the challenges before us. As you've probably heard, Steve Andrews, our founding pastor, has stepped down from his day-to-day responsibilities as the lead pastor, but Steve will be with us, and you will continue to see him regularly. I was asked to step into the interim executive pastor role, which I'm grateful and honored to be part of at this time. Myself, along with our leadership, feel that lavish communication is extremely important during these kinds of times. So we are going to be making a series of videos. This is the first of several that will keep our entire Kensington community connected, unified, and informed about where we feel God is leading us in the days, months, and years to come. This weekend is a very, very special moment. It actually marks 30 years, three decades, since the very first Kensington service was held in a school cafeteria. We have plans to celebrate our founders, Steve Andrews, Dave Wilson, and Mark Nelson, along with their wives, in a series that we are doing in December. These three families and the group of 40 people that started this church were courageous, inspiring, and stubbornly obedient. We are forever grateful for the vision and foundation that they have laid for all of us to build upon for the future. Since the beginning, we've had a long-held mission to see everyone transformed and mobilized by Jesus. We've had a passion for reaching and loving the one, the one that's far from Christ, That has always been our heartbeat, and that will always be our heartbeat. That's just who we are. I don't want to repeat that. That mission is exactly who we are, and that's not going to change. But even though we define our mission with the same words as before, how we apply it, how we live it, may look just a little bit different depending upon what God is doing and what is happening all around us. We want to be relevant to what is happening in our culture and strongly bring Jesus into all situations. We, the church, Kensington Church, need to have a voice in these cultural topics, such as racism, inequality, divisiveness, these political conversations, the well-being of all of our neighbors. Jesus came in a time in history where many of the same human problems existed, and he did not shy away from entering into the culture, bringing a whole new vision of his kingdom living in the midst of the human experience. Our vision as a church is that we would reflect Jesus. We reflect him well as we engage in our culture. Now, this isn't my vision alone, of course. I'm so grateful for the elders, the executive team, teaching team, campus leadership, all being unified and passionate to bring the truth of Jesus in this turbulent day. We really are one church with multiple locations, and I'm grateful for the leadership at each of our campuses. Now, you may have only been to your campus and not heard much about the happenings at other locations, so I'd love to update you on some of the changes that have taken place just in the past few months. Dave Wilson, one of our co-founders and lead pastor at our Orient campus, announced in July that he and his wife, Ann, will be stepping away from Kensington at the end of December and will be going full-time with Family Life, a wonderful organization that they've been connected with for decades. A couple weekends ago, Dave Wilson and I had the privilege and the pleasure of announcing his successor. Longtime friend of Kensington, Craig McGlasson, has accepted the position of Orion Lead Pastor, and the Orion family gave Craig, his wife Nicole, and their three children such a warm and inviting welcome. 
Dave will walk alongside Craig during these next few months to ensure a great transition for the Orient community. We actually had a similar moment happen in August for our Birmingham campus where Justin Warrens, who has been with us since he was a teenager, was announced as the new lead pastor uh, for our Birmingham campus and he succeeds Cliff Johnson. Now Cliff Johnson moved into a brand new role as a central teaching pastor and will be helping writing weekend series content as well as other church-wide initiatives. At Traverse City Campus, Joel Leipramp has settled in nicely as the lead pastor with weekend attendance steadily increasing since reopening this past summer. The future is looking bright with these new leaders and the leadership at all of our campuses. As you all know, we are heading into a very contentious election season. And so we've decided to do something as a full church. We're calling it 40 Days Together. We're going to take 40 days. It actually started this past Thursday, the 24th. And we're going to pray and fast all the way up until the election. You're going to see weekly teachings along with daily devotions that you can take part of. And so we're asking everyone to be part of this movement. We're also going to do something in October, a series called United. And that series is going to look for three weeks at the kingdom of Jesus and how that differs from the political parties that we find ourselves in the middle of. I'm very excited about what we're going to learn there. So that starts October 11th. Recently, a member of our staff reminded me of an indigenous saying, we walk backwards into the future. It is a beautiful reminder that as we move into a new and exciting future, we are to always remember the lessons and foundations of our past experience. We come from a wonderful legacy here at Kensington, and it is our job to ensure that we hold on to the great things about our past as we follow God into a new future. And as we move into this future together, I pray that our faith is increased and we, as a people, place our hope and confidence solely in Jesus, knowing that he will do more than we could ever ask or ever imagine. I'm going to say this to all of you. Thank you. Thank you for being on this journey and for being such a wonderful faith community that is loving God and loving others so well. So I want to I dip back really quick to the host video when Justin Warns got on there and had his coffee mug and was like, hey, it's black coffee. It's not, uh, what do you say, cinnamon spice, whatever, whatever. He's like, it's full of black coffee. You remember that? There was no coffee in there. Do you guys see that? He's doing this the whole time. That totally threw me all morning. All I could pay attention to was the fact that he lied to us. I'm like, Justin. So I texted him during the first service. I'm like, Justin, we call that lying in my home. So if you have any contact with Justin, I, I would ask you to uh, thoroughly shame him throughout the week for lying to you all about his coffee choice. So <clears throat> one of the things I love about what Danny was just talking about is we lean into what we're doing and going forward is that there really is an exciting passion uh, among our staff and I think among our campuses, even in this crazy time that we're living in, there's an excitement about what God is doing. But here's what's very unique for us. And I, and I think, at least for me and all of my experience in church over the years, this is a unique time to feel this. I've never felt this before. For all the excitement there is about what's in front of us, there's also a lot of confusion. 
uh, about exactly what is going to take place and how things are going to shape up in the weeks to come. I mean, if, if this last year has taught us anything, it's that we have to hold very loosely what our plans are. And yet, a lot of times in church, like any other place, we have very concrete plans. Like, here's what we're excited about, and here's those concrete plans. And while there's certainly plans, and there's certainly things that we could put specifics to that we're dreaming of, there's just an awareness as well that, unlike ever before, we've got to hold that very loosely. And here's the exciting thing about that, though, because it could be a little bit intimidating, especially, like, for me, the personality I have, like, I want to know. Like, I want facts and data. I want clear direction. I want clear, like, this is exactly what things are going to shape up to look like. But here's what's exciting, because that's not always good, is that we have a chance, like, maybe never before, or at least ever before in our lifetime, to really lean into the Spirit of God and let him be what he is, which is the senior most pastor of this church. And I think our job is far less to figure out the future and much more to listen to his voice as he takes us into it. He has plans. And this is just, it really is a bizarre time, but it is an exciting time. And I think the excitement is that God is going to lead us and we might be able, unlike ever before in our experience as a church, to really lean forward and hear him lead us step by step by step by step the entire way simply because of the chaos that's around us that will create its own uncertainty. And, and for all of the things that might be in front of us, here's what I also know. We, we may not be able to fill in every blank of what the future is going to look like, but I do know this. None of it is going to happen unless we choose to lock arms and strive for it together. And I would even go a step beyond that and say, I don't think God wants it to happen unless we lock arms and strive for it together. I want to give you a verse that is not going to be where we're going to spend the whole morning. Actually, it's just going to be the start for us, and then we're going to go further into the Bible this morning, into the New Testament part of it. But there is a verse all the way back to the second chapter of the first book of Genesis that begins to give us this picture of how it is that God wired and designed us all the way back in creation, that there is a message that he gave us that you and I are made for one another. That it's not just like the nice bonus to life. It's not even an option. Like there's something hardwired in the very DNA of who we are, that God made us for each other. Genesis chapter two, verse 18 says this. Then the Lord God said, this is when there's God and Adam and Eve hadn't come yet. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. For man to be alone, it is not good. And here's what's interesting about that verse. In its simple and simplistic form, it communicates so much. You have this time in history where humanity walks closer with God than ever has before. Even though there's only one, Adam did. I mean, God and Adam, they walked together, talked together, hung out together. They ruled the planet together. And there's, there's no destruction yet that's entered the world. No sin, no darkness, no brokenness. No hate, no evil. The lions and the lambs are all getting along. Like everything is perfect, except that God looks at that scenario and says two things. Loneliness and not good. There was this movement that kind of started to sweep through some churches back in the 90s. Particularly youth groups really clung to this called the Jesus and me idea. It was this idea that all I need is just me and Jesus. I don't need anybody else. I don't need anything else. I just need me and Jesus. Here's the problem with that. That's actually not what Jesus ever said. He never said we only need him. He said, I've actually made you for one another. So much so that if it was just you and Jesus, walking, talking like a friend to a friend, visibly seeing one another, ruling together, hanging out together, he would say, not good, lonely. 
It would say something is missing even with you and I being that close. And so I think part of the message that God had for us all the way back at the beginning of creation is something that is not just important for us today. I think maybe given the era in which we live is critically important for us to take hold of. And it's simply this, that you and I were made to connect. So I just want to pray and ask that the one who wrote these words would be really the one on the stage speaking. Y'all need to hear his voice more than mine, and I do as well. So let me just pray and ask him to speak to us this morning. Father in heaven, who is also here below, you're with us right now, and I believe that very much. I believe that whether we're sitting in this room or whether we're sitting in a kitchen or a living room watching online, that there is just this truth in your scripture that somehow we're even just a few of us are gathered, and that gathering doesn't have to be in the same room. But when we're gathered, it's about purpose. We're gathered for your name, that you're present with us. And I think that even with maybe locations that divide us and separate us right now, and even though we're not all in the same place, that there's just this reality that your presence, because we're gathered for your sake, brings us together. And so, God, I'm just thankful to be here. I'm thankful that you are with us. I'm thankful that it is your desire, I believe, to speak to us today. So I ask that you would do that, and I pray that you would give us ears to hear from you. I pray that our, our, our hearts and our minds would understand what you have for us today. And I pray, God, aware that some of us are here this morning absolutely convinced that there is a you, that there's a God, and that you, Jesus Christ, are him. And some of us are trying to figure that out, if there is a God, and if you're him. And would you, I pray, do what only you can do, is allow my words to speak to each one of us wherever we're coming from, that your voice would be what we hear, that you would say to us what it is that we need to hear, and we'd be able to hear it. In Jesus' name, amen. So one of the things I want to quickly do is, um, I, I just want to thank you, as always. We do this each week, but thank you for your constant generosity and support for Kensington. Um, I just, my wife and I were literally just talking about this with our kids about a week ago, and, and giving, and how we do that, and having this conversation at our dinner table, and it just continues to blow us away. And it's one of the things we can point out to our kids that this is a time where it'd be so easy to just do this with everything that you got and kind of pull in. And man, Kensington, you're just so generous. You keep giving and making possible everything that we do. Even the stuff we talked about there, that happens because of your generosity. So we, we have these moments on Sundays where we give, but I just hope you know that this is not about money. It's about mission. It's not about giving, it's about what we're able to do for the sake of the kingdom. So if this is one of your first times back with us, then this might be new to you, but we don't pass anything, at least not at this point right now. So you can do it through a couple different ways, online or through our app, or you can even text in. Uh, probably the app is the easiest. For those of you that are much more tactile, you're like, no, I want to write something out and drop it in a bucket. Uh, there will be some places to do that at the doors when you leave later today. So make sure to do that if you need to do it physically. Otherwise, you can do it online. And just thank you for doing that. So with that said... Uh, a couple years ago, my son and I, we had a, a hobby that took up a lot of our time and created for me when he was younger, he's 17 now, so it's been a while, but when he was younger, it created really some of our best moments together. And uh, also, it was equally the thing that created some of my most angry dad moments. Uh, I mean, y'all have stepped on a Lego, right? Yeah? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, when you step on a Lego, that is like, it becomes like the toy of Satan in that moment. It's like, this is a devil's toy. You'd say words that you were not intended to say and that your kids shouldn't repeat. So my son and I, we had so many different projects. Like, this is his personality. He is 
creative. He's a builder. Like, he just loves to have his hands in everything. That's the way his personality is. His mind thinks. Like, he builds his own longboards and snowboards. And so this, like, Legos, that was right up his alley from day one. Like, that was one of his biggest things. And I can remember some of our projects, like the early ones, you know, that's like 12 pieces, the big giant blocks. We were just kind of learning how to do it. And then over time, he'd get better and better and take on bigger projects and, and then even start just building stuff himself out of just piles of Legos that had no plans. But this one was one of our biggest projects. And not so much because it's the most massive Lego thing you could ever build. I think it's around 2,000 pieces. But he was young enough, and this was a big enough project that it became our biggest one at the time. And I remember when we built this, like, it took weeks to get this thing assembled and connected together. We were working on it like every night. And, and you know how it goes, right? We're like losing pieces and then finding pieces and under the table. And I think the dog ate one and they didn't send us the right piece and all that. And then we're hijacking pieces from other kids and filling it in. And, and here's what was so cool. I remember having this very real moment in the middle of building this before we had finished, where I was just looking at him one day trying to piece it all together and figure out what went where. And I had this thought. As we're connecting these pieces, we're connecting. And in the process of us connecting to each other, I think we built something pretty cool. There are two truths that I want to make sure that we don't miss today before we walk out of this room or before we turn off our computers or turn off our TVs. And those truths are this. Number one, you and I were made to build. We were made to build. We were not made to simply be observers, consumers, we were not made to just simply sit back and watch. We were made to build. In the Bible, in the book called Ephesians, the Apostle Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, and I really think that's what he was saying in part. Verse 8 and 9 and 10 say this, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. So he's talking about the work that God builds in us, but then he shifts. Watch this, verse 10. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Verse 21, he goes on. In him, the whole building is being joined together and raises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Here's part of what I think he's saying. When God does a work to build in you, it is not just for you, it is ultimately to build through you. You and I were made to build. And you might go, dude, I don't have a creative bone in my body. I can't build Legos, snowboards, or anything else. I'm not creative. I could barely stay in the lines when I color. That's not me. I'm not a builder. And I would say, yes, you are. We all are when we step into relationship with Jesus. And I realize that not all of us are in that place. Some of you are there. Some of you are going, I am devoted to him. And some of you are trying to figure out if there even is a him. Is there a God or isn't there a God? There is something unique that happens when we step into relationship with God by faith in Jesus. And part of what happens is he employs us into the work that he's trying to build into this world. That he begins to build in us so that he can build through us. You might go, but what does he build through us? Even if you have no church background, you probably are somewhat familiar with the prayer that Jesus once taught his disciples to pray. It's when they asked him, like, how do we pray? And he said, here's how you should pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So stop there. Jesus says, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come on earth. I think part of what God employs us to do as his followers, the building he calls us to, is literally to bring a bit of heaven to earth, a bit of the kingdom and its expression to earth, its experience to earth. It is 
how we live, how we value one another, how we value ourselves, how we treat each other, how we treat time, how we treat our resources. It is how we walk, lock in step with Jesus. And he says, as you do that, you will bring a bit of the kingdom to this earth and create a taste, a sample, an appetizer to eternity. I really do believe that that is part of what God's work ultimately in us is to do, is a work through us to bring an expression and an experience of the eternity that is to come, a little bit of it on earth, as it is in heaven. Here's the second truth I want us to get today. You're not made to build solo. This isn't like you go out and you just figure out what you're supposed to do. You and I were made to build together. And the reason is because not only do we accomplish more together, we literally become more together. There's a place in the Bible in Corinthians where Paul is writing to the church and he's trying to help them understand the nature of this thing, this community of people and what makes it so unique from any other gathering of people. And in chapter 12, verse 27, he simply says this about the church. He says, now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. You are the body of Christ. I don't know if that's a concept that's new or old to you. For some of you, that maybe you've never really heard of that before. Maybe for a lot of you, that's not a new concept at all. But I would venture to say that probably for many of us, it is a concept that has lost a lot of its meaning and its potency. It's become maybe even for some of us so familiar that it's just lost a lot of its depth. When Paul says you are the body of Christ, he's not purely speaking figuratively. Here's what we believe the Bible teaches. 2,000 years ago, the very presence of God inhabited a human shell that physically walked on this planet in the form of a Jewish man named Yeshua. After Jesus' death and resurrection, what I believe the Bible teaches is that God took his presence and put it then in another body that still to this very day walks physically on this planet, only the difference is it's not one body, it is the collection of his people. We are so much more than just a gathering. There is this undeniable truth back in Genesis that God has made all of us. Regardless of where you're at in faith, it is part of how we are made. God has made us as people to be connected. Whether, whether you have the capacity to be connected to thousands or to be connected to few, whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, you still desire connection. It's how you have been made. It's how you have been created. All of us have. But when it comes to the church, something's different. God has done something unique that has made us more than just a gathering of people, more than just a group of people. He says, when you come together by faith in my name, you literally become my body that walks this earth. And I believe that what God intends to build through us and in us, he intends to build when we lock arms and we actually do it together. So this morning, here's a tool. I mean, we've been saying all series long, we want to give you practical tools in your spiritual journey. And there is one today. And maybe by now it's pretty obvious. It's simple. The tool is you and I. Like we are a vital tool in one another's spiritual journey. You were not intended to experience all that God has for you alone or to do all that God has for you alone. We literally are the tools for one another. So here's what I want you to do. When you just help me out for a minute, can you participate a little bit? Even if you've got a mask on, you can talk loud through it so somebody can hear. I want you to look at somebody near you. It could be somebody in your own clan or somebody three seats away. You're about to start a new friendship, however that goes. You're looking at them. Just say this. Say you. Okay, five of you participated. That's awesome. One more time. Say you, you. are such a tool. <laughs> you are. We all are. And that's the point. It's God says... Part of the tool that is so necessary in me doing all I want to do in you and all I want to do through you is the people around you. 
It is the body around you. Now, here's the problem with that, though, because I do think that there's a problem. Let me, before I tell you the problem, let me tell you the picture. Y'all, y'all have a piece of Lego, right? Everybody have a Lego? As a matter of fact, even if you're at home right now and you're watching with us, if you're in the room and, and you like Legos still, you play with Legos, here's what I'd love to ask you to do. Go, go find your favorite Lego kit right now that you've built. You'll wander away, go get it, come back with it. And I'd even love if you'd send me a picture. Like have your mom or dad, like send me a picture on Facebook later today with your big smile and pride. Like I wanna see what your Lego structure is. But he, here's the thing, the picture that we get out of the Bible is that each one of you got a piece when you walked in this morning. And each one of us is this piece. And I love it because we're all different. We're different shapes and sizes. We're different colors. We fit into the whole thing a little bit different. We have a different role to play. We even have different capacity. Some of us have more capacity. Some of us have less capacity. But we're all made intentionally and purposefully. We are here for reason. And there is beauty in just the part. But here is what happens when it comes together as the whole. There's power that isn't present just in the individual. There's power in the whole. And here's one of the dangers, though, and one of the problems with all of that, is that I think that, I think that for a long time, and in many places, the church has been functioning more as individual pieces than the total collective whole that God has made us to be. We've been functioning more as our part than as the body that he's made us. And, and here's the thing, with, with everything that's going on right now, there's so many different thoughts in terms of spiritually, like, like, did God do it? Did God not do it? For what it's worth, I don't think God did this, but I do think the truth of Scripture is that in moments like this, God will step into them, he will use them, he will bring something beautiful out of them, something good out of them. And so it does lead me to go, what could God be trying to accomplish in these days and times we're living? And while I certainly would never say that I definitely know what God's up to, part of me really does wonder if some of what God is up to in all of this craziness that we're living through is attempting to draw his body back together and connect us in a way that we have not been connected maybe in too long. To rebuild us from the individual parts into the whole, into the actual body, not the pieces. Because Paul didn't say, and you are the parts of Christ. He said, you are the body of Christ. Maybe in all of this, what God is saying is, I long to use this crazy era that we live in to reconnect my body like never before. And to build them into the unit I made them to be to do what I made them to do in this world. I think maybe there is the reality that God's trying to do a little bit of work to reconnect us and rebuild us during all that we're going through. You might go, well, well, why does he need to rebuild us? Because I think the same thing happens with us as happens with a tool when it sits around for far too long. It can get a little rusty, start to seize up, and ultimately become a useless tool. And I think in the church, and this may not apply to everybody, it certainly doesn't apply to everybody, and it doesn't apply to necessarily every place. So when I say church, I'm talking overall church, and we need to own this where we need to own this. But I think for far too long, we, as the parts of the body of Christ, have sat. And maybe have even gotten a little bit rusty in the process. What do you mean sat? I mean we have sat and consumed. We have sat and taken in. We have sat and just watched. We have sat and complained. We have sat and believed that the building we're sitting in is the church. And I think when we have done that for too long, we begin to get a little bit rusty and forget what we are here to do. That the church is not where we sit. The church is who we are. 
and that God has purpose for us in this world. And I'll tell you, one of the places that I see the evidence of this right now is in the battle going on all around our country as to whether or not churches should open or not. Should they open? Shouldn't they open? When should they open? How should they open? And, and the belief among a lot of people that there's no reason for us to open because we're not really an important group. I mean, think about it this way. When, when casinos can open and churches can't, it just underscores the reality that there's a lot of people that see us as a useless group of people that simply gather on a Sunday morning and accomplish nothing. And there's some people that would go, yeah, yeah, we need to fight against that. Let's go get them. Let's, yeah, let's wrong. And I would just say, maybe, maybe there's a little bit of truth in that that we need to own. Maybe for far too long the church has sat and gotten a little rusty. There's an article I read recently, big title to the article, but it, the article's title is, Why the Christian Community's Desire to Physically Assemble is Falling on Deaf Ears. Written by a man named Phil Cook, and this is what he says. In today's culture, the church's impact is not measured by its theological position or doctrinal statement or its style of worship, but what can be seen by the outside world. When it comes to a visible impact, I have to say that the vast majority of churches are invisible. And if the world doesn't see any clear, visible evidence of the impact of the local church and it makes, then they will see little reason to keep it open during a pandemic or during any other crisis. And not to be dramatic, but if that invisibility goes on for too long, there will come a time when they don't have difficulty deciding a church has no value at all and eventually be closed altogether. I was talking to a friend of mine about this article recently, and we were having a conversation about this whole idea. And, and his response to that, as we read that together, is he said, yeah, but wouldn't you agree that it's difficult to even just get together, let alone to be a powerful, visible body of Jesus in this world? I mean, we've got you know, limited capacity and ticket sales and distancing and masks. And like, it's, it's hard to just even get together, let alone to be this powerful, visible body of Jesus in the world. And, and here's what we ended up settling on as we kept talking. And I would offer to you, if that's even a thought in your head, may we never forget the early church, what we are a part of. At the beginning, it had no authority, it had no power, it had no buildings. It, it had very little gatherings. It was a it was a, a legal group across the entire Roman government, hunted, persecuted, dragged out of their homes, murdered in front of their families. Many of the early Christians even drug into the Colosseums and fed to lions, to the cheers of an audience. They had no one to plead their case to. They had nobody that would listen, and they had no platform to change that on an official level. And yet, in just three generations of time, this small, ragamuffin, illegal gathering of men and women turned into nearly 10% of the world's population and literally began to change the course of human history. And you know how that happened? Was that this group of people, this is how they became visible, decided to lock arms together and do more than they could ever do alone and become more than they would ever become alone. And it wasn't a time where the church was perfect either. There were still mistakes and there was still brokenness and, and we didn't have it all together, but it was a time where there was this beautiful picture of the church being the body of Jesus. That that wasn't just a concept, it wasn't an idea, it wasn't a thought, just this nice little religious thought. It was the reality of who they were and how they lived. Acts chapter 2 gives us this picture of it. Chapter 2 verse 42 says this, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship and the breaking of bread and to prayer. 
And everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were performed by the apostles. And all they had, they had in common, all the believers together. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts, and they broke bread in their homes, and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of the people, and the Lord added to their number, how often? Daily. Those who were being saved. Those who were coming to know that there is a God and his name is Jesus and starting to walk with him. And suddenly this invisible, small, illegal group began to grow and swell. And with no infrastructure and no resources and no buildings, they literally began to change the course of human history. Why? Because the power and the potential of the church has always been in the connection of its people. Not in its buildings, not in its programs, not just in its Sunday morning experience. It has been in the connection of the people. That's why Jesus prayed before he left in one of his final prayers for us. He said, Father, may they be one as you and I are one. Not may they have an unlimited budget. May they have buildings that never close. May they have, there's so many other things he could have prayed. This is what he prayed. As far as this thing goes into the future, Father, may they be one. May they be my body, and may they stand together. So I'm going to give you two really practical things to do. If you've not begun to do these already in your walk and in your journey with Jesus, this is some of the way that you will begin to lock arms with one another. The first is simply this, is that we need to get off the ledge. I'm going to take you to the story in the book of Acts. There are stories in the Bible that sometimes they make clear sense. Like you read them and, it, and immediately you're like, oh, I totally see what the point of that is. Then there's other stories like this one that it takes a little bit of time. You read it and go, I have no idea why that's in here. And, and I feel like in the last few years I've started to see something that I actually think is important to where we're living right now and to this message this morning. So Acts chapter 20 verse 7 says this. On the first day of the week we came together to break bread. And Paul spoke to the people and because he intended to leave the next day, he kept on talking until midnight. So listen, I don't care how long anybody ever goes on the stage, unless they go till midnight, it's not a long sermon. So he goes till midnight, he keeps preaching, and it says, there were many lamps that were lit upstairs in the room where they were meeting. And seated in the window was a young man named Eutychus, who was sinking into a deep sleep as Paul talked on and on and on. And when he was sound asleep, he fell to the ground from the third story and was picked up dead. Verse 10. When Paul threw himself down on the young man and put his arms around him, he said, Do not be alarmed, he is alive. Then he went back upstairs again, broke bread and ate, and after talking until daylight, he left. Then the people took the young man home alive and were greatly comforted. Listen, I don't know what church is in your mind, but that's some kind of church when the preacher goes on so long that somebody gets bored, falls asleep, and dies. Then he raises him back to life so he can finish his sermon and send everybody home. Like, that's some kind of unique church. So this is what, I, and I remember reading that at one point going, what is the point of this passage? There's even a book that was written on this very story as a way to teach preachers and pastors how to give messages that don't put people to sleep, basically. But I want to turn the script because I don't think that this is necessarily about long-winded, boring preaching. I think it's about something far more dangerous. And it's disconnect from the church and the body. Think about it this way. Why is this guy sitting on a window ledge? Why is he pulled back from the rest of the community? Like, why isn't he sitting with people in the group or the circle or the huddle, whatever it is that they're doing? Why is he not with them so that somebody can kind of throw that little elbow into his side when you start to do that doze off thing and wake him back up? Why is there not somebody there to grab him when he starts to fall, when he starts to doze off? Because here's what he's doing. 
He's there, technically there, but he's pulled back just enough. That he's put himself distant from the rest of the group. That he's not just in a dangerous place, he's in a lethal place. And I think that there's a lot of Christians today that are living out their spiritual journey that way. Window-ledge Christianity. Where you might be able to tell yourself, I'm here. Whether you're in the building or watching online, it's like, I'm here, technically. I even come to some things outside of Sunday. But the reality is you are distant relationally just enough that nobody really knows you. And you don't really know anybody. And you're not really connected and invested in giving and and being your part back. You're just kind of distant, just taking it in, sitting on the window ledge. And listen to me, I'm telling you what, you're in a dangerous place that has every bit as much potential to ultimately be lethal. You're like, I'm not going to fall out of a window. No, but I've been doing this for so long, I can tell you what I've seen time and time again is that when you stay in that place too long, suddenly what starts to happen is the church that you loved. You start to not like it so much. The, the preaching that meant so much to you at one point, now it's just not deep enough all of a sudden. The music that you used to like, now it sounds like the same songs and it's just boring and repetitive or it's too loud. The people that you used to be excited to at least even see and make eye contact with and do the wave, now you just start to resent them because you feel like nobody really knows you or cares about you. Nobody's ever called you to see why you weren't there for the three weeks you missed. And suddenly what starts to happen, the more you stay on that window ledge, is something in you about the place that you were begins to die. The affection for it, the love for it, the commitment to it. And I've even seen the longer you stay there, that starts to happen with God. Something about your desire for him begins to even die. I'm telling you, you've got to get off the ledge if you're on the ledge. If that's the way you're living out your Christian experience, it's not just dangerous, it has the potential to ultimately be lethal. And here's what I also know. This is a really jacked up time to try and be connected. Like, has it ever been more difficult in our lifetime to try and have real meaningful relationship? Like, even right now, like, I'm I'm so excited to get to know you. And, And every time I'm in the lobby or anywhere else or anywhere, not even here, it's like you walk up to people and nobody knows what to do. Like, do we shake hands? I don't, do, do we fist bump, high five? Do we air hug? Like, I don't, mask up, up, oh, nose fell out. It's like, what? I don't know what to do. And it's so awkward. It's just so hard. And then there's all, like half of our relationships are over screens. And at the one time, while I'm thankful for technology that allows us to still have some form of connection, listen, I'm an introvert by nature and I'm still longing for what can't be found when I just look through a screen right now. And I'm glad it's an opportunity we have, but there still feels for me like there's something missing. And Zoom meetings, anybody else with me, I'm over Zoom meetings. I can't handle them anymore. I sit there on Zoom meetings and my brain zooms. Like Zoom, Zoom. I'm just like so distracted. I literally had this moment in the last couple of weeks where I was arguing with the air about Zoom meetings. I don't know what I was yelling at. I was like, I hate these things. They're so, I can't do Zoom meetings anymore. They're so ridiculous. I'm over Zoom meetings. They go on too long. And I had this thought. I think maybe it was God. This thought like came out of nowhere and just went, hey, would you rather be eaten by lions? It's like, oh, nope. And here's my point. Listen, this is not the first time the church has faced really big obstacles in us coming together and connecting. This is not the first time that the church has been seen as an unimportant gathering. This is not the first time there have been unbelievable barriers against us forming, connecting into the body of Christ that we were made to be. Push in, push in. Do not pull back. 
Like never before are we living in a time where everything is attempting to pull us apart as the body of Christ. I implore you, push in and do not let yourself sit on the window ledge. There are far too many ways here for us to connect and to be in relationship. And if it has to be over Zoom, then do it over Zoom. If you have to wear a mask, wear a mask. If it has to be distanced, then, then do it. Then be distanced. But don't put yourself on the window ledge and just reside to, well, it's too difficult, so I'm going to stay withdrawn. Can I just tell you this? There are so many ways here to connect, move out gathering, or move out network, and, and small groups, and alpha. And, I mean, there's just so many ways to connect, getting involved in serving. If you're not connected, it's your fault. There's so many ways to do it, and I just beg you, if you're on the window ledge, get off. Because you're needed. And this is the last thing I would say this morning. Step to take is this, follow your passion. Because you might be going, well, where am I needed? And, and what is the part that God wants me to fulfill in the body, to bring his body, his kingdom, here to this earth? Here, here's something, that, again, if you go back to the Corinthians passage we read a minute ago, chapter 12, 1 Corinthians. Before the Apostle Paul says, hey, you're all a part of the body, he gives some definition to what that actually means. Verse 12 of chapter 12. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all of its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. He says this in verse 17. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. And if they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts. There is one body. Here's part of what he's saying. You matter. And it doesn't, it doesn't matter what your capacity is, what your size is, what your abilities are. All of that is uniquely you. It is the fingerprint of God in you. And because of that, you matter. You matter to this thing called the body of Christ. There is zero unimportant part. And if there are a couple of missions I am on to destroy by the time I am done on this earth, one of them is that in the church, there are certain parts that matter more than others. I hope to destroy that idea by the time I'm dead. There are no more important parts of the body than others. Every single one is vital. And you matter and you are needed. And I don't know what part of the body you fill, but I'm telling you, unless you fill that part, we're missing a piece. We are not whole. We will never accomplish what God intended us to without you. This will be a body that will limp on this earth without you being a part of it. You go, well, I don't know what part to fill, though. Here's what I would encourage you to do. Find the passion that God has given you. Start there. Because every one of you have a unique passion that God's put in you. Something that you just love about this life or an angst of something that you want to see done better or that you want to see being stopped. But there is something of the fingerprint of God pressed into you that is unique passion he's given you. But I promise you're not the only one. There are other people that share that passion. If you will follow that passion, you will find your people and together you'll build your part. One of my favorite examples of that that I've recently met is the group here at Kensington called the Field and Stream Team. If you're not familiar with the Field and Stream Team, it is a, it's a group of men and women that their passion is the outdoors, hunting and fishing and camping and hiking and, and everything outdoor related. And I love that this is a group of men and women that followed that passion. They found their people here across our campuses and together they are doing unbelievable work to build their part, to literally bring a piece of the kingdom of heaven to earth. I asked the, the head of it here at our Orion campus if he'd send me some of the, the bullet points of what they've been able to accomplish recently. And I can't read all of them because there's a ton. 
But here's just a few of the things that they're doing to build their part. Uh, Field and Stream Team has donated funds to have a well drilled in Kenya to provide clean drinking water for the Pocot people. Uh, the Field and Stream Team has partnered up with Elevate Detroit to provide significant funding and support for a free barbecue in Detroit that serves local communities. Uh, Field and Stream Team has donated back to Kensington $20,000 from the fundraisers that they do to be able to provide relief for those in financial need during this COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, Field and Stream Team provides $200 in financial support to all members who are serving on a mission trip, provide partial scholarships through Kensington to help anyone who wants to attend the Man Up event but lacks the means to do so. Field, uh, Field and Stream Team has donated the funds for and to supervise the work of installing a water well and electricity at the Kensington Community Garden on Stony Creek Road in Oakland Township. I mean, the list literally just goes on and on and on, and I love it because this is a group of people that said we have a passion and that passion has led us to our people. And together, our people, we are building our part. And I think the early church got that. They did this. And you see it throughout the Bible. You see it throughout human history. The early church did this. They ran into the places that others ran from. They followed the way that God had uniquely given them passion as their people to build their part. One of my favorite examples of that is in 165 A.D., when the church is still literally in the, the high point of some of the persecution that it was enduring. Men and women murdered and killed and fed to lions and all the rest as being followers of Jesus. And because of that, 165 AD, this pandemic, a plague, hit the Roman Empire. And it was, it was devastating. The, the reports are that there were thousands of people by the day, not week, not month, the day that were dying. And a lot of historians believe that it was the early onset of what would eventually destroy the Roman Empire. And do you know what these persecuted? Remember, they're still persecuted. These are still the Christians, the, the body of Christ hated by this empire. Do you know what they did while all the rich Romans and all the healthy Romans were fleeing to the hills for their own safety? These persecuted Christians rushed into the worst places of sickness and disease at the risk and often the loss of their own lives. They rushed in, and, and here's what's phenomenal and amazing to me and mind-boggling. They didn't just rush into people that hated them. They didn't just rush into people they didn't know. They were helping the very men and women that had been a part of cheering for the deaths of their sons and daughters and husbands and wives and mothers and fathers in the Colosseums. And they rushed in and served them and loved them. It was the early church that despised the practice of the Roman Empire of taking unwanted infants and throwing them into fields at night to be eaten by animals or starved to death realizing they couldn't do anything to change that practice. Instead, you know what they did? They assembled these night search teams that would go out into the fields and hunt down these abandoned infants. And when they found them, they would take them in and love them and raise them as their own. It was the early church that saw how throughout the entire empire, women and children were horrifically devalued and abused. And instead, it was the early church that elevated the value and the role of women and children in their homes, in their churches, in their communities. The list goes on and on and on. This was a group of men and women that believed what it meant to be a follower of Jesus had nothing to do with where they sat on a Sunday. It had everything to do with believing they were the walking physical body of God on this planet. And I don't know about you, but I think our world is full of enough consumers. Enough people that are just worried about what they can get and what they're owed and what other people should give to them and what they can take and, and what people haven't done for them and how people have offended them. And I think it's time, like never before, for the church to rise up and to distinguish ourselves as a different kind of community. 
One who is not bent on just going, what do I deserve and what am I owed and what haven't you done for me and how did you offend me? But one, a community so passionately walking in the footsteps of Jesus that we don't have time for any of that because our heart's desire is what can we do for the world, not what can other people do for us because we are the body of Christ sent here to serve. And I think it is an opportunity like never before in the days we are in to lock our arms together and to do more together than we could ever do alone and to become more together than we could ever become alone. It's a crazy time we're living in, but it doesn't have to be a wasted one if we would truly become the committed, connected, building people of Jesus. Father, I thank you for your scriptures, that they teach us, that they guide us, and that when we need them to, they even correct us. Would all of that and more happen from your voice today and the days to come? Grow us, lead us, build in us to build through us. Amen.
Romans 8 verse 28 tells us that God will work all things to the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And I believe that we as the church, as his people, are called to his purpose, to what he has intended us for. So I just want to encourage you as we sing and lift our voices, the enemy is trying to come against us. He's trying to fight for division, to separate our Lego pieces and make us not one beautiful image but I believe that Jesus will win the battle. So let's invite him to do it now. Let's sing. The weapon may be formed, but it won't prosper. When the darkness falls, it won't prevail. Cause the kind of servant knows only how to triumph. My God will never fail. Come on, do you believe that? Oh, my God will never fail. Sing. I'm going to see a victory. I'm going to see a victory. For the battle belongs to you, Lord. I'm going to see a victory. I'm going to see a victory. For the See you victory. 
comes, the more we say things with our mouths, the more we believe it in our hearts. This might feel like repetition, but it's a reminder for us today. Come on, let's remind ourselves. You take what the enemy meant for evil, and you turn it for good. You turn it for good. Come on, that's good. Let's sing. You take what the enemy meant for evil, and you turn it for good. You turn it for good. Come on, he never wastes our hurt, he turns it. Cause you take what the enemy meant for evil, and you turn it for good. You turn it for good. Oh, we believe it now. You take what the enemy meant for evil, and you turn it for good. You turn it for good. watching all of you. I hope you can see this online too. I know you caught a couple glimpses of on the screen. Chris, like if you're not a mover, like you, you just kind of stand still and you don't really do a lot of moving in church, I dare you just watch him and see if you can stand still. Even if it's just suddenly your foot starts tapping, like he does, it's infectious. It's so good. And I think that's a perfect way to end and a perfect truth. You take what the enemy intends for evil and you turn it to good. There's no shortage of evil to see in and around our world right now. And I do believe it's God's desire to turn it to good. But it won't be through some random miracle that falls out of the sky. How will it be? Us. Through his body. Being committed to be connected and building together. 
So if, if you're going, hey, I wanna get off the ledge, I wanna figure out how to follow my passion. If you're here in the building, I'd say go out to the hub and talk to them before you leave. If you're not, if you're watching with us online, then you have our after service hangout that you can go to. And I'd encourage you, go to our after service hangout right here. Hopefully you can see that, kensingtonchurch.org slash online connect. And there's people there ready to connect with you and walk you through how you can find yourself off the ledge and being the part God made you to be. We're so glad that you were with us this morning. Hopefully you have an amazing week and we'll see you next Sunday. Bye. You've been listening to the Kensington Church Podcast. If you've enjoyed this recording, check back weekly for new content. You can find Kensington on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and of course, at kensingtonchurch.org.